So we are starting a new series today that we're calling The Moral of the Story. Uh, we're talking about the parables of Jesus, uh, looking at different stories for the next six weeks that'll take us up to Resurrection Sunday. So very excited about that. Uh, a parable is basically a story that explains spiritual things by using common everyday references. Oftentimes it's difficult to explain spiritual things, and so Jesus tries to explain those spiritual things by just talking about normal stuff in life. Christian Winter, who's preaching this week in Morgan Park, we were talking about this sermon, and he said basically that, that parables also, besides just trying to explain spiritual things using common situations, that parables attract seekers who want to know. You know, they're kind of like little riddles, and, and they attract seekers. But they also discourage those who aren't interested. Like, they don't want to figure it out. It's just too much to bother with, so they let it go. So these parables draw in seekers. And as we go through this series, let me encourage you to be a seeker, not to be a stiff-necked person. The scriptures are full of the reference stiff-necked people. And a stiff-necked people are people who resist God, who stiffen up. You know, they, they just, whenever it gets to that place, they get stiff. And we want to be people who seek the Lord, who connect with uh, with God and who yield to God. So let's be seekers. God wants you to find Him. Today we're going to talk about the parable of the sower. So I got to go on some missions trips to Albania a few years ago. And one of the fun things about going to Albania was you would see people out in fields with a bag full of seed walking through the field and just chucking seed in the air. And I was like, that's like the parable that Jesus talked about. You know, I grew up in a farming community in North Dakota, but we didn't do that. You know, we didn't throw seed in the air. So it was fun to go to a foreign country where they're still using the technology of 2,000 years ago and just throwing seed in the air, walking down a field with just a bag of seed. And so this was a very common thing that people understood in Jesus' day was that they would have a bag full of seed and they would just fling it and throw it out. My closest experience is salting the parking lot. You know, I always, <laughs> I think of that when I'm salting the parking lot, like where some salt landed in the ditch and, you know, that sort of thing. But that's the thing that Jesus is talking about, sowing seed, planting seed by just throwing it out into the field. So let's read this parable from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. 
Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus, he's got a big crowd of people, so many people, he has to get in a boat and the shoreline is lined with people and he tells them the story of the sower. Some seed falls along the path and the birds eat it up. Some seed falls on shallow soil. So when I read that, I think about my sidewalk. You know how the dirt will kind of encroach on your sidewalk? If you planted, you know, uh, a bean plant in that little piece of dirt that was just covering the sidewalk, it would come up quick because it can't go down. But then it's going to dry up very quickly because that soil is going to be dry because it just has sidewalk underneath it. So there was parts like that, and it sprang up and then withered. Other parts, you know, landed out of the the good soil where there's lots of other plants and weeds and, and thorns. How many people have ever had a garden and you just didn't quite weed it enough as you should? So you don't get much produce because it's all overgrown with other stuff. So he's talking about that, and then he says there's the good soil where you get 160 or 30 times what was sown. So you get much more production from the good soil. You get an incredible multiplication. So what is Jesus talking about with this parable? One of the great things about the parable of the sower is that Jesus gives the interpretation in the scriptures. That's extremely helpful. So we don't have to argue about, well, I think he meant this or I think he meant that. And we can just read it. So let's go ahead and read the interpretation, jumping a few verses down to Matthew 13, starting in verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So here we have people who hear the gospel, but they refuse it. They reject the gospel. And it says that, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So the devil's involved in this too. So there's a group of people who will hear the gospel, but they will reject it. And the enemy will take away what was sown, the gospel that was given to them. Then verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. So here the rocky soil is shallow soil. And this represents people who hear the gospel and they get excited about it. They're like, oh, forgiven of sins and get to go to heaven? That sounds awesome. Except they don't realize that there's trouble too. Our previous series, in this world you will have trouble. So then when the trouble comes, they're they're just like, forget it. And they fall away. They wither because they didn't have root. Then, verse 22, The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So these are people who they, they... know the truth, but they're so distracted by the things of this world that nothing really happens, that nothing gets accomplished. They've got too many other competing things to be able to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. 
They're too distracted. And then the final situation, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So we still are using some of the parable language, which yields a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. And this is basically, it's just being productive for the kingdom of God. It's accomplishing the tasks, bearing fruit for the kingdom that God has called you to bear. That can be any type of faithfulness to the kingdom of God. It can be shoveling the sidewalks, cleaning the church, teaching Sunday school, having a home Bible study, just giving an encouraging word to someone at Walmart, personal evangelism, being involved as an usher. All these ways of serving God can produce fruit for the kingdom of God. And so that's what this is talking about. The person who understands and then makes a difference, understands the gospel has the, the staying power and the focus to be able to make a difference in this life. So those are our four categories. Let's look at these a little bit more closely as we go through the parable of the sower. So let's go back to the hard path, the hard path, the one who rejects the faith. Now, it said the birds that eat it up, the enemy comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Does that seem fair? That if someone is resistant to the gospel, that the enemy then comes and takes from their heart the gospel that's been put in them by other people. Is that, is that fair? I mean, not only do you have your own resistance, but now the devil himself is starting to mess you up too. How is that going to work? Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, because this is actually something that comes up more than once in the scriptures. So here's just an example, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, so the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he's talking about people who don't understand, they don't see it, they don't believe it. It's veiled, you know, they, they can't see it. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So we see again that the devil is involved in this. God is involved in sowing seed. God's people are involved in sowing seed, but the enemy is there trying to prevent that from taking root. So this is a spiritual battle. We have to do battle in the spirit. And God even hides from some people. Did you know God hides from people? Let's go to Matthew 13, verse 10. So this is after Jesus tells the parable of the sower, but before he explains it. Look at this incredible question that the disciples ask. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Isn't this a great question? Now, I get the idea of trying to use common things to explain abstract ideas. You know, that sense of a parable. But Jesus gives a very interesting answer to this question because I'm sure the disciples were thinking, how come you don't just flat out tell people what's going on? You tell them these riddles and these strange sayings. Why would you do that? I mean, if I did that, wouldn't that be odd? 
I mean, you give examples and stuff, but I'm not just going to teach a bunch of parables that I don't explain and then say, see you next week. So the disciples were asking Jesus, why do you do that? Verse 11, he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. So Jesus is saying that there are people that the truths of God will be revealed to, and there are people that the truths of God will be hidden from. And so he speaks in parables so that those who have eyes to see and ears to hear can understand, but that those who don't will just stay confused and not know. Hmm. Let's read just a little bit more, a couple more verses. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. We're talking about knowledge of the things of God. He who has will be given more, and he'll have an abundance. Have you noticed some people, they just have a connection with God, and they're growing in the things of God, and it's just amazing. And other people, even when they have a little bit of a grip, it it just goes away. As uh, politically incorrect as it may be, Jesus is saying that spiritually speaking, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. So this is how James 4, 6 works. James 4, 6 says, that is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is quoting Proverbs. And in fact, when I was looking it up, I found it's also in 1 Peter 5, 5. So this is a proverb that's quoted by James and quoted by Peter. So 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So God gives grace to the humble. Hallelujah. We ought to be humble then. How do you think God would go about opposing the proud? The primary way God opposes the proud is by withholding revelation, by withholding understanding of the ways of God. Okay, you want to go your way? You got it all figured out? You know everything? Well, go ahead and do this on your own then. God opposes the proud by just letting them wander into their own foolishness. But he gives grace to the humble because the one who goes before God and says, I don't know, show me, I'm seeking, I want to understand, I don't have the answers, help me. That person is given grace, wisdom, and understanding from God. So don't shut your eyes. Let's continue where Jesus was talking about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you but not to them. We pick that up back in verse 14 now. Matthew 13, verse 14, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. So the things of God are right in front of them, but they just aren't getting it. Have you noticed that in our culture? (laughs) The things of God are right there, but they're missed. Verse 15, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Now, I really like verse 15 because we've been talking about how the seed is sown and the enemy comes and the hard soil, the the packed path has not had any capacity to affect anything yet in anything we've talked about. And that to me is a scary thing. 
But it says here in verse 15 that they have closed their eyes. So they don't see, but they had a peace in that. Their hearts are calloused. There's some choices involved with that. There's closing of your eyes to the ways of God. And so when we close our eyes and we push aside the things of God, then God pulls back too. And that's why Jesus speaks to the people in parables. Let's finish this section, verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. How many want that verse to be true for them versus the ones before that? You want to have blessed eyes. You want to have pure eyes that see. Instead of believing that everything is hidden from us, we need to try to live out Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Another place where Jesus teaches, and this is what he says. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So what's the key to not being the hard path? Seek the things of God. Don't know all the answers. Seek God. We need to ask God. We need to knock on the door and it will be opened. We have a role in this. You can be open to the things of God or you can shut your eyes. The choice is yours. If you open up and you ask God, you seek God, you will find. So that's the hard path. Rocky places. These are shallow believers or shallow converts. They understand that they want to go to heaven and that Jesus has sacrificed for them, but they don't understand that following Jesus is worth the sacrifice or the struggle, and so they're easily thrown off. These are the people who fill out the contact card at the evangelistic service, but there's not any depth to them. Years ago, I had the opportunity to be a follow-up caller after an evangelistic outreach in the Grand Rapids area. And so I was part of like Northern Itasca County, so I got the cards that came from Northern Itasca County. And so I got four cards from the big evangelistic outreach. And two of the people I already knew, so they were easy to follow up on, but two of them I didn't know. So I called them, and when I called the first one, I said, hey... Uh, you filled out the card that you prayed the prayer at the, at the evangelistic outreach. And so I'm just calling to follow up, see how you're doing, see how I can help you in your faith, that sort of thing. And, and the first person I talked to said, hey, look, man, I prayed the prayer. Leave me alone. I did the thing you told me to do. I did the thing they said. And so now I'm good. So don't bother me. Don't call me back. I'm like, okay, well, amen, you know, or whatever. God bless. <laughs> So then I called the next person, and it was the same thing. Look, I prayed the prayer. What what more do you want me to do? I did the thing the guy said to do. I don't want to be bothered. Was that effective? No. That's shallow, very shallow soil, where the, the trouble and persecution is just trying to follow up on a little bit of discipleship. Like... That's not much of a trial. I mean, this, I, that seed might have just had a little bit of dust on it, but that's about it. That doesn't count for much. But how many believers, they get thrown off by something. They, they just think, oh, Jesus has saved me. My life is going to be easy now. And then they hit a hardship or they hit a trouble in church. How many people know that church can be difficult? You can run into personality conflicts. There can be stuff done wrong. It can be kind of a mess. And then, bloop, they just run away. Shallow soil, no depth, no strength. 
These are people that understand that God is good, but they don't understand that following Jesus is worth the sacrifice, worth the struggle. Let me tell you, you want to give your life to Jesus. That doesn't mean you need to die. It means you need to live for him and not for yourself. Live for the Lord. It's an exchange. We give him our old life, and he gives us a new one. That's how it works. So we give him the old He gives us the new. It's an exchange. We're called to follow Christ. So be an overcomer. Don't let the trials, the struggles, the hardships take you out of your place. Be an overcomer and take your place. It can be hard work. It can be frustrating and difficult, but it's worth it. The thorns, among thorns. These are those who... They have a faith in God, but they have too many other priorities that trump their following of Christ. Now, I think I can say this with tremendous confidence. This is the most distracted generation in the history of the world. I remember being bored. Do do kids nowadays, are they ever bored? We used to sing a song. Maybe you've heard this song. If you're old like me, you may have sang this song. Rain, rain, go away. Come back some other day. Because you're staring out the window, wanting to go outside and play with sticks. But you can't, because it's raining. And there's nothing at all, except maybe clean your room. That's it. We were bored. Now, the kids are excited when it's raining. Oh, sweet. I can play my video games all day and I don't get in trouble. We're not bored anymore. In fact, we're all way behind. How many people have more on your to-do list than you can get done? Yeah, we're way behind. We're not close to bored. We are frazzled. The temptation is amazingly strong to add way more things to our lives than we could possibly do. I've been telling people I want to live to be 150. Not a word from God, just a personal decision. Just going to live to be 150. Because i got a lot of stuff to do, and I just know I don't have time to do it. It's not going to work out. I'd, I'd love to do all these things. There's so many opportunities. So it's all the more vital that we learn to prioritize the things that are most important. When I was talking to my dad on Sunday afternoon last week, it was the first time I saw him cry, but he was talking about his mom, and when his mom died, he was there, he was 17, and his dad was there, and and he said, this is what's most important. He's talking about relationships between people. You know, isn't anybody on their deathbed who says, I wish I'd scrolled through Facebook more, you know? I wish I'd have just worked twice as much overtime as I did so that I could buy a camper that I could never use. Isn't anybody who says that? It boils down to connection, connection between people and between people and God. It's the most important stuff. So we have to prioritize or we'll get swept into all these distractions, which is so easy to have happen in today's world. So easy. We must prioritize. So the people that are described as the seed planted among thorns, 
They understand who God is, but they don't understand that God needs to be their first priority. If God is your first priority, the other things start to fall in line. You can't say, well, I'm putting my family first, so God is fourth down the list. If you put God first, that's how you put family second. That's as high as it's going to get. So we have to prioritize. Your stop doing list is the most important list you're going to make in your life. Don't waste your time on this, that, or the other thing. Find the things that are most important and do those. So this shallow soil and this thorny, weedy soil are interesting categories. And the next parable that Jesus tells right after he explains the parable of the sower is called the parable of the weeds. And I want to read that quickly. Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. It's not very nice. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. There isn't an explanation of this one, but I think it's fairly clear that the weeds and the wheat are growing together, that we have true believers following Christ walking side by side in church with the weeds, with people that are shallow soil, that are distracted by other things and make other things a greater priority than God, people perhaps even who don't even believe. I did research a few years ago and found out that close to 20% of pastors don't even believe in God. It's quite shocking, isn't it? Some of them believe in believing, or they like to be up in the front. Some of them, though, believed when they started, and all the crud they had to deal with in church life overcame them, and they thought, this has got to be baloney. There are people today who've lost their faith, but they're still in the ministry because they're five years from retirement, and they got no other skills, and they got no other way to get out. What a tragedy that is. That's kind of on us, but it's a bummer for them. The weeds and the wheat are growing together. If you wonder why there's hypocrisy in the church and God doesn't just take everybody out, if you wonder why things are messed up, well, Jesus knew about that 2,000 years ago. The wheat and the weeds are growing together. But there's something interesting about the weeds in this parable, and that is that the weeds can turn into wheat. The weeds don't have to stay weeds. They can become wheat. I'll explain that a little bit more later. Then we have the good soil. Those who understand make a difference in this life. And the point of this parable is to get us to this place. Not just for us to evaluate where we are, but to get us to the place 
where we are good soil, where we understand the, the truths of God, where we have the staying power, the strength to overcome the obstacles, the difficulties, the hassles, and that we have the focus and the priorities to be able to put God first and not be distracted by wealth and the, the different things that, that can pull us aside, but instead we, we prioritize God and then we make a difference for the kingdom of God in this world. That's where God wants all of us, in that place. And the good news is you can jump categories. I've been at least three. You don't have to stay hard path. You don't have to stay shallow soil. You don't have to stay choked out. You don't need to be in those categories. The weeds can turn into wheat because all of the wheat used to be weeds. One of the big questions in this parable of the sower is, who goes to heaven in the parable? Popular Christianity would be three groups of them go to heaven. The shallow soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil, right? Is that the way it plays out as Jesus explains it? Do you think he's looking for excuses to let people in? Jesus went to the cross just to give us a shot. I think he's trying to get as many people in as possible. You know, the new Jerusalem, you know how big that thing is? The new Jerusalem is... It's the holy city that comes down from heaven that the people, the saved people, get to live in. And that's just the city part. It's 1,400 miles on one side. It's a little farther than Duluth to New Orleans. That's like driving for 20 hours at interstate speed without stopping. And that's how long one side of the city is. That's a lot of room. I think he's wanting as many people in as possible. But let me tell you, if you want to be sure you got to be a good and faithful servant. You don't want to think, well, maybe, they'll, maybe I'll get in bearing no fruit. Oh, maybe I'll get in having other priorities, but having a side belief. I'm certainly not willing to risk that myself. I'll hope that for others. Amen. i got to hope for my dad. Hallelujah. I'm so glad he had the courage to tell me that he believed in God. He thought God was good. He just didn't know how he fit. How many people are out there like that? They just don't know how to fit. Well, let me tell you, There's hope, but not full assurance. Full assurance is for the good soil. It's for those who produce 160, 30 times what is sown. It's for the good and faithful servant who perseveres, who fights through, who makes a difference in this world for the kingdom of God. That's where assurance is. When we're the good soil, we get two things. We get assurance of salvation, and we get abundant life now. Imagine living a life where your priorities are in order where you won't look back on your life and think, oh, I wish I would have, I wish I had. But instead, you made the most important things the most important thing. Looking back at your life and you powered through the hard times and you made it work instead of crumbling. And now you have the regret of bailing when you knew you shouldn't. You get abundant life now and everlasting life in the future when you're the good soil that bears fruit for the kingdom of God. Why wouldn't you choose that? It only makes sense. Here's the obvious question. Where are you at? The hard path? What hardened you? What calloused your heart? Let God in. The shallow soil where you're just quick to run. You're doing the circuit, you know, go to this church, that church, that church, that church, and then each time you get offended, you just go to the next one. Choked by the weeds, too many other distractions, too many things going on that our priorities get out of whack. Maybe you're a weed. You're in here because somebody else brought you, but you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. Are you good soil? 
I hope so. So where are you at? And where do you want to be? Do you want to be good soil? So how do you get there? Right? Because how do you get there? Well, that's the gospel. The gospel is that it doesn't matter who you are right now. It doesn't matter who you've been, what you've done, where you're from. What matters is what God can do for you. And God can forgive your whole past, perfectly forgiven. And He can free you from the patterns that brought you into destruction in your past anyway. You can be made new, accepted by God, and brought into a place of making a difference for the kingdom of God in this world. The gospel is true, and that applies to you. Our closing scripture is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God. So is this somebody's idea? No, it's from God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The old is gone, the new has come. We can be reconciled to God, forgiven and free, and live a life that makes a difference. Hallelujah. Father, we just honor you here in this place. Lord, I pray that you would show us where we're at. Are we distracted from you, putting other things first before you, afraid we're going to miss out, so we... We push you to the side, believing in your grace and mercy, but not understanding that you are the most important priority that we need to be devoted to. Lord, are we shallow where any difficulty, trial, any persecution, any conflict causes us to run? Is our heart calloused and we won't let you in? The enemy is taking away the words of your gospel. Are we weeds that are causing more problems than we're helping with? Show us who we are. And Lord, show us who we can be, that we can be the good soil. The parable isn't there to shame us, but to give us hope to be productive for your kingdom, to be good soil, that we understand who you are and that we make a difference in this world, producing 160 or 30 times that we're able to be those people. Father, bring us to that place. We trust in you. We love you, Lord. We thank you that the best life we can live is a life where you are our first priority, where your kingdom and your righteousness is the first thing that we seek. And Lord, that that we can overcome the trials, the persecutions, the difficulties, the struggles, and that we can be able to reach out into this world and make a difference. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to stand strong and help us to stand strong together. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.